Tonight, God's Word comes to us from Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, I encourage you to turn there and just put your bulletin in that text right now, because before reading that, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 16 and read God's Word as it's found there. I'm going to begin reading in Acts chapter 16 at verse 6 and then read through the end of this chapter as this describes part of Paul's missionary journeys. Acts 16 verse 6, what we hear now is God's word. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come into Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, Immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now we turn over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, tonight we are beginning a new series of sermons on Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. As you read through the book of Philippians, as I've been working with this the last couple of weeks, certainly certain themes begin to arise to the surface. And one of those themes has to be, this is a book of joy. It is a book about the joy of being a believer. It is a book about the call to joyful living. Uh, Sixteen times in these four brief chapters, we are told about joy or about rejoicing. It's a wonderful book. A book of what I would call spiritual gems. Uh, memory verses perhaps we learned as children in chapter 1 verse 6 and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion 
at the day of Jesus Christ. Wonderful assurance for the believer. Chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Wonderful comfort for the believer in Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, we hear these words. We looked at these a couple weeks ago in the morning. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That wonderful text about working out the implications of salvation that God has worked in us. The last chapter is filled with these beautiful gems. Chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The book is about joy and about rejoicing. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And the book ends with these wonderful words, chapter 4, verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. A beautiful book of spiritual gems, wonderful nuggets of truth that God gives to us to encourage us in our walk with Him. It is also a doctrinal book. Now, it's a rather short book, so the doctrines are not fully formed, but in many ways it summarizes parts of Paul's other letters. I'm thinking of a text like chapter 3, verse 9. In chapter 3, verse 9, we read this, And I may be found in him that is in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's a summary of Romans. Where does our righteousness come from? Not from ourselves. It's a righteousness given to us by Christ. So he summarizes the truth given to us in the book of Romans. In the same chapter, 3, verse 21, excuse me, 20, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. On the resurrection of the dead, the mortal being thrown off and the immortal being given. He summarizes these wonderful truths. And of course, probably the, the most uh, theological of the statements in Philippians from chapter 2, uh, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our Christology, our understanding of the person and work of Christ summarized in these few verses. I would encourage you at the beginning of this study that you take time in the next week or so to read the entire book. It's not a very long book. We will certainly work through it text by text, but it's good to see the whole picture. So I encourage you to take time to read this. It is a call to joyful living. And so tonight we're going to introduce the book, uh, some of the introductory issues we deal with, with uh, who is the author, uh, who is the audience, and what is the fundamental message that that author wishes to bring to that audience and to us as well. The book begins, Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy. Now Paul includes Timothy in the salutation of the letter, uh, not because Timothy was the primary author, uh, this is the work of Paul, but Timothy was an encourager to him. Uh, Paul is imprisoned in Rome as he is writing this book, and Timothy is his encourager. And although Timothy is not the author of the book, he is very likely the writer of the book. It was not uncommon for Paul to have someone else write on his behalf, and very likely it was Timothy who served as his secretary, as his amanuensis, to write down what Paul wanted to say to the churches. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul introduces himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. Now there are other letters of Paul where he begins, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he wants to emphasize his apostolic authority. He still has that full authority here, but he has a different purpose. He is a servant of Christ Jesus, called to serve, called to give his allegiance to someone else, to set the example for the Philippians. There were three ways in this time that someone could be uh, put into slavery. One could be sold into slavery because he or she had incurred a particular debt and they would be sold into slavery to pay that debt. One could be born into slavery if their parents were slaves, they are born into slavery. Or one could be conquered by someone else and become a slave. Three ways to enter slavery, and there are three ways to gain their freedom. Uh, one way for a slave was to work off the debt. They would work, and that would be credited uh, toward their account to pay the debt. Another way was to work actually for money and use that money then to pay the debt. The third way was to have someone else pay the debt for them. And of course, just finishing our study on salvation, you know that that is what we call redemption. Someone else pays the debt. That's the kind of servant Paul is. He is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
because someone else has paid his debt to sin. Paul is one who is redeemed by Christ and now lovingly serves him. Some people would say, you know, if, if we're going to be a servant, either to uh, Satan or to Christ, what difference does it make? We're still a servant. Slavery to Satan is driven by fear, by lust, by anger, by all these terrible things. Slavery to Christ is driven by his love for us and our loving service to him, our willing devotion, our loving obligation to live for our master, our redeemer, the one who has paid the price on our behalf. That's how Paul begins. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. To all the saints who are at Philippi. Kids, have you ever seen a saint? When I think about a saint in the church, my mind goes to those mature believers who have walked with the Lord for years and years. When I think about a saint, uh, probably the first image that comes to my mind is uh, my wife's grandmother, Oma, Oma Kamenka a wonderful saint of the Lord, living into her 90s and still at that age leading Bible study in the nursing home where she was living. She would write the most wonderful letters to her grandchildren, encouraging us, encouraging us to raise our children in the fear of the Lord and encouraging us to teach them the Heidelberg Catechism. Oma loved the catechism. We would get these beautiful letters, always containing a little bit of a sermon about how to raise our children in the fear of the Lord and the wonderful tool the catechism was in that task. That's what I think of as a saint. A saint is someone who is set apart for God. They are set apart from evil. They are set apart from the desires of the ways of the world. They are set apart unto God's service. And we know who the saints were that Paul is writing to in Philippi. We read about them tonight in Acts chapter 16. One of those saints was a woman named Lydia. She was a businesswoman, a wealthy businesswoman, a trader in purple goods. Not a laborer, she was a trader. She was, again, a, a very powerful businesswoman. And this was one of the saints that Paul was writing to. We read about this slave girl who had the spirit of divination, who would follow Paul and cry out, these men are servants of the Most High God. This slave girl who would have her demon cast out by Paul and become part of the church. The wealthy businesswoman, the slave girl who had a spirit of divination cast out. These are the saints in the church. And of course, because of that casting out of the demon, the jailer. 
The jailer who would have Paul in the inner prison, his feet in stocks, who would, who would experience that earthquake and be prepared to kill himself. And Paul calls out, no, wait, don't do it. We are still all here. And then he falls down and says, what must I do to be saved? And the simple message, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this servant of Rome, this servant of the government, is one of the saints at Philippi. Kids, have you ever seen a saint? I see saints every, every Sunday. Every day that we gather together for worship, we gather as the saints of God. Not those who are perfect, but those who have been set apart unto God with a desire to serve Him. Those who've been set apart from sin. Diverse backgrounds, diverse histories, as diverse as a powerful businesswoman and a slave girl and a Roman jailer, but yet brought together by a common confession of Jesus Christ. When Paul writes to the saints in the church, he could be writing to our church, to those who assemble Lord's Day after Lord's Day to worship our God. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, and what does he say to them? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the beginning of Paul's message to Philippi? Grace and peace. I said the theme of joy runs through the book of Philippians, a joy that arises out of knowing God's grace and the peace that he gives. The grace of God that unmerited favor, that which is unearned by us, that which is unbought by us, that grace which is a gift of God. Knowing what he has done for us in Christ Jesus is the root of our joy, is the source of our joy, an abounding grace. As the choir sang this morning, grace that is greater than all our sins, a grace given to us at all times to meet all of our needs. Knowing the grace of God that's been revealed to us gives us joy in what God has done. Grace and peace. A peace with God. Not simply a church in Philippi that had peace within its walls, peace with each other, but a peace with God accomplished by Jesus Christ. God who is holy, God who is righteous, God who is perfect, and we who are fallen and sinful and dirty, and Jesus Christ comes and makes peace. He reconciles a holy God to a sinful man. And knowing what he has done, we respond with joy 
joy for the work accomplished. We do not face the wrath of God, but we are at peace with God. Paul's message, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was the focus of Paul's preaching. He already in this first chapter, 17 different references to Jesus Christ. That was Paul's focus. That's what his desire was, to serve his master, Jesus Christ. I read in a magazine at one point uh, a study that I don't know how they actually figured these things out, but what the, what the magazine said was an average person can only think of one thing at a time. Now, we can think of many different things in rapid succession, but we can only hold one thought in our mind at a time. We cannot think of two things at the same time in the same way. Christ was at the center of Paul's thoughts. Christ was at the center of Paul's preaching, of his teaching, of his life. The Lord Jesus Christ was the, was the center of his universe. Uh, kids, a long time ago, there were scientists uh, who would look at the stars and try to figure out uh, how the planets move together. And there was a man whose name was Ptolemy. And Ptolemy thought that the earth was at the center of the universe and all the planets and the sun revolved around the earth. And with that system, Ptolemy himself recognized it didn't quite work. There were some things he could not explain with regard to the planetary motion. It didn't allow for progress in science, working with that Earth-centered system. And then much later, a man named Copernicus comes along, and he says, no, the Earth is not the center of the universe. The sun is the center of the universe. And suddenly, those Ptolemaic problems kind of fall away. When the center was correct, they could understand the planets around them, and there was opportunity for growth, for the uh, expansion of physics. But it had to begin with the right center. Is Christ the center of your universe? Or is it you? As long as we put ourselves at the center, we'll never be able to fully understand or explain all the things going on around us. It, it, it'll be close, we can get close, but we just can't make sense of it. Not until we recognize that Jesus Christ must be the center of our lives. And then, then the things that occur around us begin to come in greater focus begin to understand what's happening around us. Even if we don't like it, we know that God at the center is in control and moving all the pieces 
for His perfect will and His honor and His glory. Is Christ at the center of your universe? Or, or are you still on the throne trying to make, make sense of what's going on around you? God calls you tonight. Don't try to live that type of life. It just won't work. It just won't make sense when you are at the center. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Trust in Him, in what He has done, in the grace and the peace He has accomplished for His people. And know the truth that He is at the center and He is in control. And then even when things seem chaotic around us, there is an order, there is a structure. Because God is at work. God calls us tonight to put our faith in Him, to keep Him at the center of our universe. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the Philippians. Paul, who is a servant of Christ Jesus, who knows what it is to be redeemed from the servanthood to Satan and brought into the loving service of Jesus Christ. Paul, who writes to the saints, to the businesswoman, to the slave girl, to the Roman jailer, Paul, who writes to us, to the businessmen and women, to the students, to those who are retired, to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul comes with that wonderful, simple message, grace and peace to you because of what Jesus Christ has done. We're going to spend the next several weeks together looking at the book of Philippians. May that reality become more and more a part of our lives that through the grace that Jesus Christ gives to us, through the peace he has accomplished, we might see that call to joyful living evident in our lives. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for all of your word. We thank you for the New Testament letters that teach us wonderful theology but are also so practical. We pray that you would bless the, the teaching and preaching of Philippians to us. Thank you for the grace we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the peace we have with you, our God and Father. May these two truths overwhelm us with joy and a delight to live in loving service to our Savior Jesus Christ. Lord God, hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to turn to 433 in the Trinity Psalter. 433, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Tonight we're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 3, and then verse 6. Verses 1, 2, and 3, and verse 6 of 433. Let's stand together as we sing.
receive the parting blessing of our God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.